0: Welcome to the BIOS podcast by Alix Ventures. BIOS is a community of early-stage healthcare and life sciences founders and investors. BIOS curates content, hosts events, crafts resources, and creates a community to facilitate collaboration. BIOS unites like-minded members of the startup universe and is anchored by Alix Ventures, a San Francisco-based venture fund that invests in early-stage healthcare and life sciences companies. To learn more about us, visit bios.community or Alix.bc.
1: Pleasure to invite healthcare industry veteran and leader Mark Polito to the BIOS podcast today. Someone who has been healthcare CEO across everything from early stage payer related startup to Fortune 15 companies across the diagnostics, payer provider, and even healthcare IT and services landscape. He's also done a foray in the, the wine business and private equity along the way as well. My father, Mark Polito. Alex, team member and a lifelong mentor to the table today. Mark, could you please give us some background on on your career and yourself, and provide some context for how we got here today?
2: It's awesome to be here at the the same table, and it's such an exciting time in healthcare. I'm an immigrant grandson, my grandparents stayed in Mexico, a family of pharmacists, and I've had a lifelong passion for healthcare. And this passion for healthcare has been this genuine caring about people and their prospects and possibilities in life.
1: This is probably to say at least a sum total of 20 years of conversations at the dinner table wrapped around a nice button of a podcast today. Would love if you could articulate Over 40 years of being in the healthcare space, you have had a great mental model and a lens, more importantly, guiding framework for how you've navigated your career, connected vastly dissimilar but similar opportunities. Can you talk about some of those principles today?
2: It's always been a a key filter for me and a discipline in decision-making, what I wanted to do and, and where I wanted to do it. And it was driven by purpose, did the organization or the idea, you know, having done a Sequoia Capital Euro Revenue startup to billion, built upon billions of a Fortune 15 and a a number of in-betweens, it was always the same guiding principles to me, did the organization have a purpose and, and a mission that I could believe in? And then secondly, the people. And then, as important, the prospect. So, you know, my guidepost, the three P's: you know, purpose, people, and prospect. And when I look at purpose, it was, you know, either creating a, a company or a culture, or evaluating an existing one. You know, when you walk into a startup or a global pharma company or a 160-year-old Fortune 15 company. You have different situations, but it was always the same, to me, basics is, was there a mission, a vision, and a value? And if there wasn't, could we create one or try to assess what was there? And when you talk about mission, it's very important. It's it's what problem are you trying to solve or what does the company fundamentally do? How do you go about doing that? and then why, but most importantly, why does it matter and to who? And that really answering those fundamental questions of mission, what, how, and why, and why it matters, and then the people you'd be working with, and and then a practical assessment of what's possible in the future process. That's always been the filter for me as I've gone through in decision-making, looking at different opportunities and different verticals and all within healthcare.
1: Love the, the context there and thanks for walking us through your framework. While many people, I believe, have frameworks that they use to compel them to make decisions, it's one thing to have them another thing to ground yourself in those principles? How have you stayed realistic about those guiding decisions? It's actually... Focus, in my
2: mind, creates simplicity. And I don't mean simplicity to be easy, but simplicity in judgment and decision-making. And by having that focus on purpose, people, prospects, it's a pretty straightforward screen of decision-making. And asking what a company does or could do in the case of a startup, What problem are you trying to solve? What do you do? How do you go about doing it? And why does this matter and matter to who? And that wiring, if you will, being very straightforward uh, allows me to have a good filter and judgment in the decisions of where my career has taken me. And it doesn't matter about geography, Know, from San Francisco to New York, from Minnesota to Texas.
1: Some cold winters in Minnesota.
2: I, I <laughs> kind of had a I eighty I thirty five life. It just so happened that way, but the opportunities were never based on geography or weather. It was always a filter against those main principles. What's the purpose? What what are we trying to do? How do we go about doing it? Why does it matter? And does who does it matter to? And then, as importantly, the people. And people can be the leadership team, your board, your investors, all of that matters, the customers as well. And then what are the prospects? And an objective assessment of prospects is you know, be very well grounded in where are you, so existing situation, what gave rise to it, how'd you get here, but more importantly, where could we go? And then what's the possible outcome? So after you've assessed purpose, people, and prospects, you start to distill that down into what's possible. There's a whole separate part of assessing talent and
1: people as well as processes. One of the things that's always impressed me in throughout your vast career experiences and industry expertise, you've been able to take really concrete, wide-ranging topics and distill them down into very short insights as in this repeat framework you just shared with us now. Can you talk about some of the, and particularly we're, we're in a crisis right now, can you talk about some of the, what we like to call in the startup world, earned secrets, something that is, through only your experience, able to distill that insight, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners today would would be excited to hear about some of those earn secrets you've discovered over your career. I'd say,
2: you know, that that whole wiring of purpose, people, and prospects really forces you to have, I would say, a hard nosed, keen assessment skills. And and assessment's always hard, and and it's the objectivity. If it's, you know, in business, in your personal life, whatever the situation is, it's the objectivity of knowing where you are, how you got there, and then creating a vision of what's possible.
1: And I think, as you've said to me many times, set a plan, work a plan.
2: It it is that, but the diagnostic part of where are you and being realistic and objective in the context of not only what you're trying to do, the environment you're in, the conditions, industry landscape, the financial markets, whatever the externals are. It's always a key part of assessment skills. Be objective about where you are and realistic. And in today's world, You know, with with COVID, I mean, first let me just say we are all and should be just enormously uh, gratified and proud of what our healthcare system is doing. The medical professionals, the first responders, the essential workers, you know, be it in academic settings, research labs, commercial companies, this private-public partnership, It's just remarkable. We all should have the deepest sense of gratitude and appreciation that they've laid down their lives for our country. And so in a time of crisis, you know, it's one, the the safety of family and friends, and it's also the deepest appreciation for for those who are truly putting their lives on the line every day of every day.
1: You've also said, uh, and particularly reminded us in the last few weeks here, though, that with crisis comes opportunity. And have quoted that in the sense of, don't waste a good crisis. Can you talk about how you have used that mindset um, mm-hmm. in prior experiences?
2: Well, well I, I think that change or rapid change and certainly where our world and our country was 90 days ago, 60 days ago, the rapidity with which we've changed and change has occurred. And, and change shouldn't be matter, measured in finite you know, minutes, days, dollars, hours, lives, whatever metric you're talking about. But over time, change is a constant. So how one uh, embraces change, I think, comes back to those critical assessment skills, that diagnostic, that ability to be objective about where you are, how you got there, and more importantly, where you're going. And in the current environment, it's a realistic assessment. There will be a new normal. Our first responders, the, the... Unbelievable skills of our research labs, academia, public-private partnerships, how our local, state, and federal government have responded to something unknown. You know, mobilizing, testing, new technologies, uh, rapid uh, going through the phases of vaccine and therapeutic development and assessment you know, PPE, ventilator capabilities, critical care uh, competencies uh, that, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know 90 days ago. And so with that opportunity, I I think that you got to be objective about where you are. But I think also what's important is is sometimes in the the times of crisis, while you're assessing, if you have the luxury, is pausing. And and being patient enough, and I think in today's startup world, that patience of being able to shift to what the new normal is going to be, and it will be different. And I think the analogy is, you know, none of us have ever gone to an airport or boarded an airplane in the same manner after 9-11 as we did before 9-11. So there will be a new normal at the time of crisis assessment skills. While action is urgent, assessment skills have to have some measured patience to them. And so in today's environment, I would say that the, the founder, the startup, has to have a, even a more crisper understanding of what problem you're trying to solve and that the basics and by basics i mean that you have a problem uh, that you're trying to solve you know what you're doing and how you're doing it so with whom and who's the beneficiary of that and then the reality of narrowing a focus is making sure your objective about your line. And you can't predict the future, but runway is usually two simple things. It's cash and burn rate. So that objectivity, making sure initially our family, our teams, everybody was safe and we have a personal accountability for all of us doing our part. Frequent and transparent communication is needed. But as we're starting to be thankful for how our counties and states and federal government have responded and our society has slowed or stemmed uh, the spread uh, of this horrid pandemic. Also that the first responders and all the medical professionals, you know, just in awe of what they're not only have done, but continuing to do that then starts to say, let's look ahead. You know, we, 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 have that opportunity, so I think in the startup world it's really narrowing the focus on the basics. I've got a solid product, I know what it does, how it does, what it's supposed to, with whom and why it matters, and we'll talk a lot more about the details in go to market, but that crisp focus on the basics is so critical, and in startup world,
1: that's runway. Now, as we kind of jump into things, you've talked about your vast career experiences. And while under the kind of guise of being mission driven within healthcare, very, very like within the healthcare industry, somewhat very dissimilar opportunities. How have you, to some degree, parachuted into these and able to orient, get your barriers within the sandbox? And use a guiding framework throughout all these to connect these opportunities, even though they're so dissimilar sometimes. Well, it's been
2: that you know, initial screening of purpose, people, prospects. And then secondly, the diagnostic skills. You know, you've got to know where you are, how you got there, but most importantly, where you're going in the plan to do that. So what's
0: possible has
2: always been that undermining and that thinking.
0: Awesome, so staying on this COVID topic, we've seen companies have their strategies disrupted, runways diminished, customers disappearing, and you have led some of the biggest companies out there. What advice would you give to CEOs and executives right now to navigate through these difficult times?
2: I think that for no matter the size of the company, I think that focus on your people and focus on basic safety, and that's frequent and transparent communication. You know, the the things that are working and the things that need to be done better or differently. Um, I also think that it requires more experiment and testing. So try new things, uh, learn fast, fail fast, this whole Test and learn, accelerate innovation is critical. And then for startups, I, I think in today's world, that narrowing your scope of really a crisp understanding of what problem are we trying to solve. I, I think that in healthcare in particular, you've seen this massive public private partnership, uh, just acceleration, regulatory barriers. Um, All just knock down accelerated approvals and enablements of trying new things so in that environment I think that a company who has a a new idea or a new environment or a new fund it's the best of times I mean you've got no baggage from the past if you're a, a new startup and some people would say wow in a crisis, you started a company, you started a fund, you've got to be kidding me. What were you thinking? It's actually the opposite. I think some of the best companies and best funds came through or after a crisis. And so I'm excited about healthcare. I think that the landscape is shifting fast, the public private partnership and the regulatory environment is all frankly, tremendous opportunity for new companies
1: as well as newer funds. While the uh, landscape right now is rapidly evolving and as you said, it's an exciting time to be an early stage company uh, or creating a new endeavor here, uh, there are also some folks that have gone through some pretty unfortunate layoffs. And as someone who's had 40 years of leadership experience in what has been a multitude of crises from 87 to 2000 to 2008, and probably a lot of major, minor ones in between those as well. Can you talk about any advice for leaders in having to lay off folks right now in your experiences? Well,
2: I, I think before you even get there, those assessment skills of where you are. And it forces you to be really, really well grounded. And I would say it's not what the upside is. because Typically, everything's a base case, a downside, and upside. I think you've got to be just laser focused on what your base case is and what your downside case is. And you've got to understand that. And you've got to be transparent about that with the team that you have and the folks that you're working with, if it's your associates or
0: it's your investors,
2: that that well-groundedness on
0: reality. Going back to the idea that it's easier to start a company now and it's actually a really good time, you mentioned some really good tailwinds for that, part of which was an evolving regulatory environment. But this regulatory environment is more important in healthcare than in other industries. So do you think that healthcare companies specifically have an advantage to start right now in 2020, or do you think just broadly that even in other sectors, this is a good time? Well,
2: my focus in conversation is addressed to the healthcare opportunity. I think you have to be a little patient that maybe some sites of care you know, are preoccupied, but they're starting to make this transition from triage and emergency to the new normal, Uh, and I think in healthcare, that opportunity with cooperation at an accelerated pace between public companies, academia, medical centers, and the government and the regulatory environment, be it provider, payer, diagnostic, pharma, healthcare IT, data analytics, whatever the landscape is, you have seen a mobilization, and a cooperation that, frankly, crisis has forced. It it might have taken a decade to make the progress. In many areas, one most notable is telemedicine. And and, and so as a result of that, the cooperation, and I would say new landscape, there's, in healthcare, I would say, the best of times. You have to be a little patient that some of your provider sites are preoccupied, or some of your, your traditional partners have other urgencies. But as you look ahead to the, the new normal, I think being in healthcare and a healthcare fund, particularly newer companies and newer funds without any past baggage, you're not triaging anything, you're focusing on opportunities it is, there has been no better time in my life other than now.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I agree with you right now. Actually, there it's really good for healthcare companies to get started. Something that, that was interesting to me is a lot of people have talked about how healthcare is the one sector that always does really well during recessions. And in 2008, that's what we saw. Healthcare spending always goes up during recessions and there's more hiring in healthcare than there is in any other industry while other people are getting laid off. But, but what's interesting is this particular recession is so different because we have people who are scared actually of going into healthcare settings, right? And we have elective surgeries, procedures getting canceled. Patients just are refusing to see the doctor in person now. And so hospitals have been struggling. They're contemplating lots of layoffs all across the country. They're losing a lot of revenue. And it's it's interesting how maybe this is the beginning of a true shift away from hospitals and and towards other care settings. And Mark, you mentioned a lot of new technologies like telemedicine. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts here about how this particular time might be different from previous recessions and how this shifts in the particular type of healthcare winner versus losers.
2: I, I think, you know again, part of the critical thinking is assessment skills. And it, it, you've got to get through uh, the war, but don't be uh, blinded by the fog of war. So objective assessment as we return or transition to normal or new normal. I, I would rather use the word new normal. But through it, you're caused to rethink basic beliefs And I think that when you're under siege and a crisis, you're willing to try things to solve problems and solve them with urgency. And we're learning new things as healthcare. You know, we're learning telemedicine. We're learning uh, about clinical trials. We're learning about, you know, experiments and, and supply chains and many, many different areas. So I think it's really critical that we, you know, understand that while it is a a, a war that's going on, uh, post that there'll be a recovery, but it will be different. And so what are the opportunities and what are the shifts and what are the changes? And I think how healthcare is delivered, what patients are used to expecting and willing to, I mean, there used to be a saying over a certain age, telehealth had no point. You know, Medicare didn't even reimburse or cover it 90 days ago. Wow, what a rapid sea shift this is just one example.
0: Yeah, I like the analogy of a war a lot and the idea that there are different time horizons to think through. As Specifically as a CEO, what do you think the best – way to think about this is, like how far ahead, given so much uncertainty with with COVID, the long-term impact, even the near-term impact of when things are going to reopen, how does a CEO actually plan for these multiple contingencies and, and even try to get a strategic advantage that they didn't have previously?
2: I think it's the objectivity of the situation that you're in, period. And that really makes you have to understand and be very well grounded in reality and your focus on fundamentals and that's your people your customers your safety your health and and being objective about what is my base case and in times of crisis what's my downside case
1: you know one one of the things that we in the startup world look into is the fact simply that you have to just go the distance sometimes. Um, and, and part of that, it's framing the set of really how to create an enduring company. Um, and when you talk about that, you've been at uh, Sequoia-backed startup before, uh, as early as it gets. You've been at a company who's been around for over, over a century. Well, over a century and a half. A century well, and a half. And a half. And was taking at that point basis points off of trillions for how you at McKesson classify your revenue there. You've gone from <laughs> no revenue to basis points off trillions there. And that gap, what does enduring mean when you talk about kind of the two poles of that? Yeah, so an
2: enduring company to me is one that will thrive no matter what the external environment is. And so it's making sure that what you created is a very clear mission, vision, and values. And, and it sounds trite, but it's just as important as a product is that your mission, vision, and values is you, you write it, you, you live it, you drive it, and you own it. And every day that you come in, you understand what you do, how you do it, and why it matters. And, and so it, it's having a culture, and cultures get created. They can be created in a very positive and high performance or in a toxic and negative manner. And sometimes it happens serendipitously and other times it's by blind luck but mostly in a culture is something a leadership team a founder has a determination to create no differently than the business or product that you're trying
1: to build the the way you're talking about culture makes it sound like it's uh, like these companies are living breathing organisms they are Uh, how in your background have you had to perhaps cut off a limb to save the body?
2: Well, well I, I think you have to have this understanding of what is in culture. And so I, I put it into, if you will, three pillars. It, it's that, you know, the, the, what's our mission, uh, you know, so our vision and our values, it, it's, it's, it's what we do, it's how we do it and why and why it matters. And, and, and then after you understand what you do and being objective, you know, uh, how you do it and why it matters, you, you've got to be a great storyteller as a founder. You, you have to you know, something cre- create or nothing. a excitement and frankly, a, a feeling of we will and are so successfully solving a problem and, and, and so with that after you've got your your what we do what problem we're trying to solve how we do it and why it matters and you can, we'll get into a little bit of buyer persona uh sites size of care when we talk about go to market but it is after you've got your basic What your mission and vision and values are, then I think it's talent, and and talent is is a performance-driven culture, and talent is about you know functions first and then the form. A lot of people build boxes on org charts. It's having a mindset of function. What will this individual do? And it's really making sure that you have an understanding not only of their resume, their background, their references, all the classic stuff, education, where they work, pedigree, if you will, but but it's will they be an impact player and will they fit? And so that's really important. So mission, then talent, and then also processes. And processes... I break down into two or three simple strategic imperatives. How do we measure those? So our KPIs. And then frequent, how are we doing? Red, yellow, green. So the ecosystem of leading starts with purpose, so that mission. It also then goes to talent, the the, the people, the, the performance culture, the fit. The leadership, and then process. And all three of those are woven together.
0: Thank you for listening to the BIOS podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For more content, please visit BIOS.community or Alix.vc.